this gift of engaging the eros of life, you know, the, the erotic life force of life, and that we can engage it in ourselves personally. We can engage in the life force of life, but we're invited to, if we wish to engage that life force with another, you know, and if we are in relationship with somebody, I think this is so often where couples will come in, they've been in relationship with each other for a while, and then they get caught up in the to-do lists of their life, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And then they're not stopping at points along the way to just enjoy each other and play with each other and share pleasure with each other. And then all the different ways that you can do that, you know, and that it doesn't have to be about, you know, so often holes and holes, you know? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Isaac Archuleta, founder and CEO of I Am Clinic, an outpatient psychotherapy practice in Denver, Colorado. Welcome to Queer Relation Tips, a podcast devoted to helping you create the love lives and relationships you crave. In this episode, I sit down with Tina Sallers, a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified sex therapist who holds a PhD in clinical psychology and author of the brilliant book, Sex, God, and the Conservative Church, Erasing Shame from Sexual Intimacy. Sallers and I discuss the shame that many of us experience early in life and how reframing our own desires can help us grow beyond that shame. We touch on intimacy in relationships, open relationships, sex education, and so much more. I hope you enjoy. I always tell clients the desires of your heart create your compass. Yeah. They are your guiding force. Yeah, you said that, and I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. If you can trust what you crave, not the the behaviors you want to enact, but the desires that you crave, you're going to be in the flow. Yeah. Like now you're conspiring with the universe yeah. in my mind. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I think that's really true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think I like how you say we get talked out of it in kind of more the clinical languages that ego splitting, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're literally wrapping shame around our God-given desires. Yes, yes. Exactly. And this is, I think, so effective when we think about sex and sexuality Mm -hmm. and sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We get really severed from our own selves. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I think that is where where shame comes in, in that, um, you know, shame really is what talks us it's what causes us to doubt ourselves, you know, to not feel valuable, not feel worthy. It pulls us away from those inerrant, um, that inerrant value, that inerrant sense of desire, causes us to question everything about us. You know, so it moves us away from all of those places of Mm -hmm. knowing, of deep knowing, of deep trusting, of just resting, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and then I get back to some of the things I've been talking about lately, which is that our, like I, I, like so many people, 
just adore the work of, and are, and are so appreciative of the work of Brene Brown, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how she helped us understand shame at the household level. Right. 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 Because shame is this opaque thing that functions at a constant insidious level all the time. Mm -hmm. Separating us from ourselves, separating us from each other constantly. And by her work and her ability to tell story and language it in a way that made it so visible, so many people now understand how shame operates. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I've come to realize is that it's sexual shame that is our first shame. Mm -hmm. This is our first shame. Sure. Because our hands stop like hitting us, randomly hitting us Mm -hmm. at about 10 months old. Mm -hmm. And we start realizing we have control over that hand Mm -hmm. right about then. Right. So up to that point, it's just smacking us. And, you know, (laughs) it's this wild thing that we're like, what's this thing doing? You know, and then somewhere between eight and 10 months old, we start to have control over it, you know, and obviously it's a slow process, but somewhere in there, we're going to get our diapers changed and our hand is going to land in our genitals where we have five to 8,000 nerve endings mm-hmm. that the dear Lord above gave us sure. because we are that loved, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that is going to be a great day. However, because we live in a country without comprehensive sex education and have for always, mm-hmm. the chances are that our caregiver is not going to be as excited about that discovery as we might feel mm-hmm. on an implicit level, sure. right? Sure. And is going to either say something abrupt or hit our hand away. Mm-hmm. And while we will not remember that, mm-hmm. because... Our left brain, our thinking brain, isn't even online then. It doesn't come online until we're 18 months to two years old. Mm. It's just our right brain. It's just our feeling brain. Our implicit memory. Mm. It will be a shame experience. And we will have many of those that will have hundreds and hundreds of those Mm -hmm. that will occur before the first one we remember, which will be somewhere around five and six when we are sharing that discovery of body with our sister, our brother, our cousin, our neighbor friend, Mm -hmm. right? When we're going, what does yours look like? Here's what's mine look like, Mm -hmm. which is what we naturally do, Right. right? And someone finds us or sees us with our pants down, pointing, sure. looking, whatever we're doing, because we are playing doctor at that age, because it's what we are naturally curious about. We're curious about our world. We're curious about each other's bodies. Sure. It's what we do. But we will remember that one, mm-hmm. because developmentally, our brain is locking in memory that we will hold on to by the time we're five and six. And if somebody gets really angry with us mm-hmm. and yells at us or whatever, we'll likely remember that one. That is not our first one. Sure. There's been hundreds before then. So 
our shame is sexual mm-hmm. and it's cemented into it's, it's you know we've metabolized it mm-hmm. so much before we're five and six mm-hmm. it's just that's the first one we remember sure. and um and this is the one that is impacting our ability to bond and attach. This is the one that is affecting mm-hmm. our ability to feel worthy of love. Mm-hmm. This is the one that is causing me to feel disgusted and humiliated about my body. Mm-hmm. And whether I'm worthy, whether, whether you can feel like this body Mm-hmm. is worthy of love, whether you're going to want to attach to this body, love fully who I am sure. inside and out. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and this goes with me and it continues to happen because now at five and six, I am also fully aware of all the media mm-hmm. in my culture. I'm watching TV. I'm listening to everything on the radio. We now have 50% of six-year-olds six-year-old girls modifying their diet, two-thirds of nine-year-old girls, oh 90% of 14- and 15-year-old girls, right? I don't know how you get out of this unless we start providing comprehensive sex education that gives them some knowledge mm-hmm. to say that's bullshit, right? Right? Mm-hmm. To say, no, that's fantasy. Mm-hmm. That's not true. That's only there so that I feel badly about myself and keep purchasing things. Sure. Right? That somebody's out there helping me, you know, call BS mm-hmm. on that stuff. Sure. Right? Right? Um, so until we develop something that gives us the ability to equip ourselves against um, that, how do we? How do we develop something against that sexual shame? Mm-hmm. And and when you look at the European countries then and you see how they are doing so much better than we are with regard to bonding and sexuality and their lowered of you know lowering of STI rates and teen pregnancy rates and much higher rates of um, successful relationships. You know, just like there was one study that came out in Sweden where they were looking at um, relationships that were sexual, but they were not um, uh, married, say, mm-hmm. and asked them to describe, you know, give them measures to describe what type of relationships they were in. 95% of them were in bonded, committed relationships, even though they weren't married. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you would never find that here. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right? But I think people naturally prefer to be in relationships where someone's got their back mm-hmm. and they feel connected in those relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, that feels good to people. I feel seen, known, loved, and accepted. I feel at ease. Mm-hmm. That feels good to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I like that. It's almost like full circle here a little bit, but if if the first shaming experience is around sexuality, the way that I'm sharing my body with someone else... And that shame is additive, layer upon layer, message after message is just adding up. It's almost like what or what you're talking about is we shame is affecting our ability to want to belong mm-hmm. with someone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That shame mm-hmm. would say, for me to want to belong, 
it's wrong for me to have that desire. Mm-hmm. It's wrong for me to want to share my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It causes us to question mm-hmm. that want, that desire mm-hmm. to belong. Yeah, and that, or that I'm even worthy of belonging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that some, sure. somebody would even want to belong with me. Right. Right. Yeah. In your work, um, let's say um, someone has suffered or, or received all of the shaming message, and now they're, let's say, a 30-something, and shame is affecting their sexuality. What are some of the common ways you've seen shame show up in someone's sex life or their sexuality? What does it look like? Well, I think so often people find it really difficult to um, receive the love of somebody else. And so there's all this questioning when somebody else is offering it, there's defensiveness, Mm -hmm. right? So they defend themselves against somebody else's they don't trust they don't trust that person Mm -hmm. they don't trust what they're saying they doubt what they're saying Mm -hmm. um they can't receive affirmation mm -mm. no they can't receive it they doubt it they question it they um and they doubt themselves as well Mm -hmm. um there's you see a lot of blame come up you know um so it's, it's like there's wall, you see walls going up, you know, um, and distance <clears throat> maneuvers, mm-hmm. you know, things that are like, I, it feels too scary to get close because I'm too afraid of the rejection that could happen here. And so there's distant kind of moves mm-hmm. that would go in. So <clears throat> whether it's that I'm afraid to trust what you say, mm-hmm. or I'm a, I'm afraid to um, let myself get too vulnerable with you. Um, so I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do something uh, to create a wall with, you know, between me and you. So I might say I'm gonna do something, but then I'm gonna do something else, and so that way I make it easy for you to be angry with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's these, these sort of jockeying behaviors that make it difficult for people to get close to each other. So it's you see blocks in communication, mm-hmm. right? So things that have to do with trust and communication, and you know these kinds of these kinds of things. Um, one of the things I sometimes talk about is um, there. Um, I had a oh I had a student um, that. Um, did a piece of research in 2017 where they looked at the operational definition of sexual shame because we didn't have an operational definition of sexual shame. And, um, and for me, it was just really stunning how that operational definition made for me really, um, black and white, how profound that um, um, how much it affected people's lives, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and it was in places like trust and communication and mm-hmm. um, ability to bond. 
mm-hmm. I love the way that you define sexuality in your book. Mm-hmm. Do you mind sharing that? Um, I don't know that I remember off the top of my head. It was this really beautiful, and I hope I get it right because I loved it. So yeah, <laughs> maybe it's evolved. <clears throat> yeah, um, but this idea that sexuality just isn't about a sexual experience, that sexuality is about our passion at large. That when when you say sexuality, it's not just the sexual erotica, but it's the passion, this generative energy Mm -hmm. that we bring. I'm trying to think of the context that I put that in, but I think... um, I think that sexuality is the whole of who we are. Um, um, yeah, it's this more comprehensive understanding of sexuality, not right. just what we do with our gonads. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and um, yeah, I, um, so often I think when I'm talking about sexuality and what I think I, I'm so often wanting people to understand is that when you're working with a couple people and you probably see this too people will come in and say we're not having enough sex mm-hmm. right and um, and I'm not sure if this is what you're getting at but this is where I so often see it and and um, and I'll say well what kind of sex aren't you having enough of mm-hmm. right and um, it's a great question I know, right <laughs> well and it kind of gets at why we're being so narrow, sure. right? Like, and underneath it is this idea, well, what's the purpose? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the purpose here? And the purpose is connection and pleasure. Mm-hmm. And that really we need to think about sexuality in this expansive way, that it is this gift, mm-hmm. that sexuality is... Um, is this gift of engaging the eros of life, mm-hmm. you know, the the erotic life force of life, and that we can engage it in ourselves personally. Mm-hmm. We can engage in the life force of life, but we're invited to, if we wish, to engage that life force with another, you know. And if we are in relationship with somebody, I think this is so often where couples will come in, they've been in relationship with each other for a while, and then they get caught up in the to-do lists of their life, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And then they're not stopping Mm -hmm. at points along the way to just enjoy each other Mm -hmm. and play Mm -hmm. with each other and share pleasure with each other. Mm -hmm. And then all the different ways that you can do that. You know, and that it doesn't have to be about, you know, so often holes and poles, you know, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and things on your to do list, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's really and this is what I love when I found the vow of Ona when I was studying all the Hebrew stuff. It's about bonding. It's about connection and pleasure. Mm. Are you stopping to enjoy each other? The Sabbath. Are you just stopping to enjoy each other, to engage in the eros of life? You know, like life is going to keep going and then it's going to stop, you know, and are you stopping to enjoy each other? This is your person. 
Right. Right. You know, like stop and enjoy yourself. It's not about how things function or don't function. What does connection, pleasure, joy, fun, what does that look like today? Mm. What do you need it to look like today? Mm. That is sexuality. Mm. That is pleasure. That is needed for your heart, Mm. for your body, Mm-hmm. for you, right. for nourishment of the whole of you. Yeah. And that should include your body, mind, soul, and spirit. And you should show up fully to that, intentionally to that, so it fully nourishes you. Mm-hmm. So that whatever time you've set aside for that, you walk away and it's done what it's needed to do for you. Sure. Right? It's, you've been mindful to it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's d- done the nourishment that you need because life's hard. Right. Right? And you deserve that. You mm-hmm. need that. Mm-hmm. So whether you've done that in a partnered space or some relational space mm-hmm. or whether you've done that in your alone space, either way, it should have fully nourished you. Mm-hmm. And that in my book falls under the heading of sexuality, right? Right. And that when we have narrowly defined it in this holes and poles kind of way, it's not doing us any good. Mm -hmm. You know, like, have we had intercourse X number of times? If that has not been a nourishing experience, that's not what it's meant for. Sure. Mm-hmm. And and heterosexual sexuality in particular has done us no favors mm-hmm. in that way. And and one of the things I loved about the last pieces of research that Mar- uh, Masters and Johnson did in their work is they were looking at heterosexual sexuality um, and then LGBT or gay and lesbian sexuality and really saw that the people that were having the best sex mm-hmm. right were the gay and lesbian folks because. Their sexuality hadn't been dictated mm. for thousands of years, sure. right? And they were taking their time and building anticipation, and there was all kind of variability, and et cetera, et cetera. And then all the people that were being observed that were heterosexual, it was no anticipation and very little time, and it was wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, mm-hmm. right? And the satisfaction levels were so much lower, mm. right? Sure. And... Um, and again, I don't think that we talk about that. Mm-hmm. And I know you see that in your office, see that in my office, all my supervisees see that in their office. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still trying to get the message out. What's the purpose mm-hmm. in our sexual lives? Why do we seek to connect? Right. Right? Relationships are hard. Family, partners, love, sex. Life can be overwhelming. Over the past 10 years, I've sat with individuals and couples and have heard stories of hurt and hardship, stories of struggle and pain. I've helped people explore questions about life. Queer Relationships is offering a unique opportunity to come on the show and sit with a therapist to talk about whatever you need help with. Relationship with your family, Rocky? Having trouble with your sex life? Considering an open relationship? Exploring your gender identity? Love life at a standstill? I'm here to sit with you and talk about it with hope that you will walk away stronger. 
For more information, visit imclinic.org. That's iamclinic.org. One of the things that I encounter in my office a ton is this relational sexual ambivalence. These, you know, I'll, I'll just say gay men are saying, I'm so desperate to belong, but so afraid of it. I want mm. it right now, but not yet, because someone better might be around the corner. Mm. I'm starving mm. for it, but mm. it leaves me feeling um, like my personhood is being zapped from me. Mm. And so... By I, someone else? Yeah, uh-huh. it's almost like... Um, mm. I describe it. I'll just kind of go for the meat of it. It's almost like when we're growing up and we're living in the closet, we're literally saying kind of in this emotional way, I keep you happy by hiding who I am from you. Mm -hmm. And that becomes the template for relationships. Because I am hiding from you, I stay valuable to you. And this in some way becomes our relational software. So when we become... When we approach romantic relationships, we carry that archetype and it says, I want to bond with you so desperately, but when I do, I'm only valuable if I hide parts of who I am. Mm. And so we kind of operate out of this, I'm ready for it, but not right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that as we swallow this relational software where we are trained to perform, yeah. By hiding who we are, by pleasing, you know, I'm keeping my, I'll just say my mom happy by pretending to be masculine. Mm-hmm. When, we ha- when we have that performative relational software, mm-hmm. I think that we, um, we create this incredible ambivalence. And then I wonder what that ambivalence does when we desire bonding yeah. The romantic and the sexual. Mm-hmm. Right now we have um, the hookup culture, grinder. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly common to see open relationships. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. What, what is your take on uh, that kind of hookup culture and kind of the open relationship dynamic we're seeing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's a, such a great question. I've been asking that question too because I've been watching that roll out in so many um, people's lives both professionally and personally Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people are asking trying to understand the complexities of relationships frankly. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it's a really big question, Mm -hmm. actually. And I don't, and I think it's a complex question. And I don't think that there's a single answer because I think different people are trying to understand it for themselves and for their own reasons. Um, So I don't want to whitewash the question, but I think that there are multiple things going on here. One of them is that we are now out mm-hmm. with open relationships. Sure. We've got a series of outnesses happening. Right. Right? <laughs> um, and in some ways, I, I, I think this has been such a fascinating time to be alive. In my lifetime, there's so many different outnesses that have been happening. And right now, open relationships are really, it's an, it's an out 
now. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people um, of various orientations are looking at what does it mean to be in an open relationship. Mm-hmm. And so as relationships become complex, which they will, mm-hmm. um, do I manage that complexity by opening? Mm-hmm. Becomes a question on the table, it seems, mm-hmm. for many people. Sure. Where that might not have been a question before as a relationship becomes complex. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it, and, um, but like, I think perhaps with other times when something is newly open, when a, a, a new, um, a new topic is newly open, um, we're not yet culturally very efficient with that topic yet. Sure. Right. Sure. And so people, what I'm noticing is people don't necessarily know where to go to become more proficient at the topic yet. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they don't know yet. How do I, how do I understand the complexity of opening a relationship so that I can maybe do it more thoughtfully? Sure. And so my relationships become complex. Under what conditions would opening really help us or mm-hmm. not? Mm-hmm. We are this type of relationship or this type of relationship. Or the, we are a gay relationship, a lesbian relationship, a straight relationship. We are struggling because of this, this, or this. Or we have a lot of compersion or low compersion or, you know, whatever the deal is, right? Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of, we have kids, we don't have kids. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Do you see, you see what I'm saying? For sure. Um so, um, I, um, so I'm just noticing that different people are exploring the openness and some of them are doing it more thoughtfully mm-hmm. by reading books like More Than Two or whatever, and then trying to, and having conversations perhaps with, um, therapists who are also sex therapists who maybe can help them as they step more carefully towards that and help them have realistic expectations and how to manage conversation because there's so much complexity. You're going to do a lot more talking. <laughs> You're gonna, yes. You know, there's going to be a lot of complexity here. Um, and then other people just go for it and give it a shot and sometimes things will go well and sometimes things will blow up, right. you know? And um, so... I um I don't know if I'm entirely getting at your question, but I'm just noticing that a lot of people are um, are as they're exploring openness, they're also finding out the why of their openness sometimes as they're opening. Right, for sure. Mm-hmm. And as they're walking down the road, some of them are learning the why of their opening. Sooner, mm-hmm. because they're actually 
maybe being a little bit more thoughtful and doing some reading and talking to people who are more knowledgeable mm-hmm. on the earlier end. And some of them aren't necessarily and are just opening and going and then they're learning as things get a little messy right. down the road. Right. Um, and there's a little bit more carnage, perhaps. Um, and, and then I, I've had other recent conversations, too, where... Um, as they tell other, and this is this is just like other kinds of opening, times of opening, mm-hmm. times of the culture opening, sure. where they'll tell other people in their lives, and because other people have so much ignorance and fear, other people will get really judgmental of them, mm-hmm. and they'll lose people in their lives because other people will freak out, sure. as opposed to take the time to say, tell me more. Mm -hmm. I don't understand this. This is new for me. Sure. Is there a book I can read to understand this better? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and I've had conversations about, you know, just how sad that makes me that people are less understanding and whatever. And, and I've watched church churches, people Mm -hmm. kick people out of churches because they didn't understand or whatever, as opposed to embrace people, Mm -hmm. you know, Sure. This is happening. Right. This is happening. Mm-hmm. It's happening all of, It has been always happening. Totally. It's just that it's becoming out right. now, mm-hmm. which is great. Mm-hmm. We should. It should be out. People should not be hiding. Mm-hmm. And we should wrap around people and say, how do we help you? How do we understand? How do we do things thoughtfully? Mm-hmm. Yada, yada, right? right. Um, so um, I think with anything, there are ways to do things that are thoughtful and respectful and more just and more graceful and more loving and Mm -hmm. honest. And I mean, ethical non-monogamy is, in my opinion, um, better than unethical monogamy. Sure. Right? (laughs) Keeping secrets is Mm -hmm. hurtful Mm -hmm. to people. So let's, let's, keep our promises let's do what we say we're going to do and not keep secrets in our relationships and yeah be honest and mm-hmm. i think that has value totally i think for me you just struck on something because i i see I'm, this is a little dualistic so just bear with me for a second sure, here sure. kind of a little black and white but i think that there's the the people who want to be open because it's a it's an uh, a blossoming of their stability. Mm-hmm. It's a, they're so rooted and stable. I want to use the words in their attachment style mm-hmm. that they, they can hold the, um, like a, like a really rooted tree. The branches can just sustain holding all of these leaves. They sure. just more and more and more. Yeah. Yeah. I also think though, that there are some people who want to open up their relationships because it's a, they're coming from a depleted place. Yes. Where they say, in this monogamous relationship, I'm so hungry for these desires to be fulfilled, to feel desire, to have thrill and joy and so forth and so on. And because I'm not getting it here, I'm wondering if I can get it somewhere else. And it's almost a seeking out of depletion Mm -hmm. rather than an exploring out of abundance. Absolutely. Yes, you say that brilliantly. Yeah, and I think that if we could bring some sophistication mm-hmm. to this conversation and help mm-hmm. educate people, this why question you keep mm-hmm. mentioning, why am I 
in my language, why are these desires kind of bubbling up inside of me? Mm -hmm. And how am I going to translate those desires into behaviors, ethical ones, hopefully? Yes. And how am I hungry to do this in an unethical way? Yes. And I think the education around this topic is so important. Absolutely. Yeah. And, And having people like you and and other kinds of therapists or whatever to engage people in those thoughtful conversations Mm -hmm. is i think what often helps people get clear about oh yeah why why am i hungry to do this what is that about am i running from running toward why what's that about and then they make mindful decisions Mm -hmm. that they can be happy with it either slows them down and they're glad for that or moves them toward and they're glad for that rather than it be a reactive Mm -hmm. type of decision right right that they might later regret Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um and i think that's where there's value Mm -hmm. you know and and that so often can happen in a conversation with somebody who's not afraid of that conversation. Sure. You know, the idea of opening a relationship doesn't freak them out. They say, well, well let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what that might mean for you and right. what that is about, you know, mm-hmm. because that can be done very thoughtfully. It can also be done not thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. And you probably wouldn't want that to happen in an unthoughtful way. Right. You know, so let's just talk about what that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd rather someone come in and say, I'm feeling so frenetic in my relationship. Help me understand it. Yeah. Rather than someone saying, I'm frenetic and and opening my relationship will help soothe it. Yes, right. Right. Well, and even if they said that, let's let's talk about that for a minute. For sure. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It's sort of like... um, I'm feeling frenetic. I think I'll have a baby right. to calm exactly. us. Well, let's talk about that. Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. it's the same kind of thing. And a lot of people want to have a baby mm-hmm. to calm the craziness of their relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not an uncommon thing to right. feel. <laughs> but same diff, yes. you know, mm-hmm. same exact thing. For sure. Um, it rarely does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to pivot us just a little bit. Please. I think that you have such a unique position. Um, your academic and professional credentialing as a sexologist with a doctorate, um, a Christian, but someone who's also so very lovingly and open and affirming for the LGBTQ community. And I think that your um, perspective could just be so liberating for a lot of people who have this shame wrapped around their desires and their sexuality. Um, because I think that in my, in my own personal opinion, homophobia comes from religion mm-hmm. and sacred texts. Mm-hmm. And I think it's incredibly affirming someone who is so well studied and brilliant and um, esteemed, I guess I want to say, with such a lot of credentialing that your affirmation can just, I think, just help so many people. What all I'm getting at is here is what is it that, uh, uh, what is your perspective that allows you to be so affirming of LGBTQ sex? I know that's a very broad question. 
I, in my heart of hearts, I absolutely believe that we are, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, um, that God does not make, I mean, these answers are going to feel simplistic, I think, Isaac, that God does not make mistakes. Mm. And um, and we are meant to thrive in love and as we are. Mm-hmm. And um, and if you are are made as you are, and um, and that your heart is to be who you are, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and you are not to con- spend a moment of time configuring yourself to be something that you are not. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and so you, you come into the world as a child and you love how you love and you love trucks or you love, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I have been around children my whole life and watched their purity of hearts. Mm. And, um, and I've also watched people try to change the core nature of a child. Mm -hmm. And that is how you destroy the spirit of a person. And, um, and I have worked with people. I mean, I started out working with children and then went into teaching junior high children and then went to graduate school because I saw how lives and homes affected junior high children. And that's what took me into marriage and family therapy. And, and then watching how the purity movement affected grad students took me into my work now, you know, I mean, I have been so finely woven into watching how lives were affected by, uh, by manipulation and power and I, I so see how people's lives are set free by being who God created them to be mm-hmm. that it's impossible for me to see that people aren't to be exactly how God created them to be. Mm-hmm. So if you come to me and you say, this is who I am mm-hmm. and I can see in your eyes, this is who you are, and this is how you love, Mm -hmm. and this is where you most thrive in the world, and this is who you are to serve and take care of and be in the world in the most loving and just way, then I am 100% behind you, and I believe God is absolutely, that's who God created you to be. And you can watch and see how people thrive in the world, Mm -hmm. and you can also see how you can destroy someone's spirit, and you see what happens when you destroy someone, then what happens to their life and what happens when that hatred and that anger grows in them and then what gets produced in their life from that, you know? And so, um, I just, and I know so many people who, you know, it's like, okay, you, you're a man, you love a man. So what? Mm -hmm. Your, your life goes on and it thrives you know it's like I also know tons of people it doesn't matter they can be heterosexual but their spirits have been destroyed and they go on to hate and they go on to produce so much violence it's it's what who are you and what makes you thrive and what makes you love and what makes you do justice and what makes you 
I want to support that, and that's who God created you to be. So, I don't know. It's just, the issue is not, the issue is, are you able to be who God created you to be? What allows love and justice to thrive in you? And that is, that's God alive in you. And um, so to me, it's a Mm no-brainer. It's just an absolute no-brainer. and I just, I can remember um, learning about the gospel and in hearing about the stories of Jesus' life and what Jesus, who Jesus stood up for and who Jesus stood against. And it made so much sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, absolutely. That's who you stand up for and who you stand against. And it so resonated to me with truth. Sure. That's why I fell in love with Jesus. And that's why I became a Christian. I mm-hmm. mean, it just was, yes, that's who, that's who God is. Mm-hmm. That, that resonates with the perfection of creation to me, right. you know, mm-hmm. and that's who I'll spend my life defending, mm-hmm. you know, because that makes sense to me sure you know it's harder for it takes less faith for me to believe in that than it does in so many other things Mm -hmm. you know sure so yeah i don't know if that gets at it but that for me it's yeah i yeah 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 it almost feels like um kind of where we started today almost as though God is not the mailman delivering the desires of your heart, but that they are already in you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like a tree blossoming, the idea is just to let those desires unfold. Yeah. And our only job is just to stand in the sun and open up. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I play with my, I have one of the delights of my life is I have a granddaughter now, you know, and she's two. And, um, last week we were playing outside in the backyard and she, her, her wagon had been outside and her mom and dad had been throwing, like picking weeds out of the grass and throwing them in her wagon. And then it had rained because of course we're in Portland. And, and, um, so there was water in the wagon and, weeds that had been there with dirt so it's the perfect play place right sure. when you're two right water mud uh-huh. weeds and um so she's playing in it and she is just delighting in playing in this water and mud and weeds and she's so happy she's just so delightfully happy and I'm thinking to myself of course you are Mm -hmm. you know and she's getting as muddy as she can and water is going everywhere and her hands are going everywhere and I'm just thinking this this is this is life. This mm-hmm. is the eros. Mm-hmm. This is learning about your environment. Sure. You know, this is feeling the sensation of water and mud and grit and all of it. And this is this is all of it all at once, mm-hmm. right? And this is all of us. Mm-hmm. This is all of us figuring out where we are right now and how to be our best selves. Mm-hmm. And we need to both support each other in learning what we're learning right now 
and get out of each other's way. Mm -hmm. You know, so like my job right then is just to keep her safe Mm -hmm. and allow her to get as dirty as she can get, right? Like I'm not gonna, I don't care if she gets wet and dirty. Uh I can take her clothes off later. She's warm enough, whatever. We can wash things, Mm -hmm. you know, but let her learn and experience, right? Um, That's that's our job, is to keep each other safe, find out what each other's goal and learning and doing what it is we feel called to do, Mm -hmm. um, support each other in loving and doing justice, um, and not impose too much. But then in those places where harm is happening, step in. I think we have an obligation to step in and say, I'm not okay with this. Mm -hmm. I'm not okay with this. Mm -hmm. I want to see change happen here because people are getting hurt and I'm not okay with this. Mm -hmm. Um, And to the degree at which I can affect change, I want to affect change. because I have a life and I have a responsibility here. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's that kind of jockeying and balancing of back and forth mm-hmm. that we do with our life, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, this is so fun. <laughs> yeah, <I love> it. <laughs> Dr. Tina is just such an incredible force and I loved her um, insights One of the things that I took away from sitting with her is that a lot of us find it difficult to actually receive love. We've lived through so many wounding experiences or what we might call attachment fractures that teach us, I am unlovable, I am undeserving, I'm inadequate, so forth and so on. And those messages live not as cognitive thoughts in our brain, but as an emotional experience in our identity in the relational software we use day in and day out. And I think that because of some of these circumstances that we've lived through and these painful experiences, it's our job to really begin practicing trusting people with who we are so that as we stand in front of them in this metaphorically naked and undecorated way, that they can see every aspect of who we are and still remain steadfast in their love for us. I really, really enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Tina. I hope you do as well. Queer Relation Tips is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I am clinic. That's I am clinic.